conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. Today I am joined by Mick Schulman. Hi. Margo Carlson. That's me. And Mitchell McDonald. Hi, Deanna. All of my friends' names start with M. That is a rule. I did not make it. And today we're talking about the Mitchells versus the machines because we love M's on this podcast today. But we're going to go ahead and jump right in. So we're going to start with some quick overall thoughts here. Mick, why don't you kick us off? Well, I'm happy to say that I loved this movie a lot. Mitchell is a longtime fan of Lord and Miller. And when they announced the title of this, I was like, this is a reward to him for gunning so hard for Lord and Miller for years. And I watched it with my roommate, who is kind of a movie novice. And the two of us enjoyed it so much together. And I don't remember if I was a little drunk when I watched it the first time, but I definitely uh, cried at least three times. (laughs) Margo, how about you? Well, I had sort of an an opposite experience where I'm someone who is extremely passionate about robot fiction and also who cries very easily at fiction. And Mitchell knows this about me. So he contacted me to let me know that I was going to love this movie and that I was going to do a podcast about it because of how much I was going to love it. And so I watched it and I didn't like it very much. But I am excited to talk about both the things I did like and the things that I was a little critical of. So you're saying that you're on you're on this team of the Mitchells versus the machines. You're on the machines side. Yeah, I would say so. (laughs) Oh wow. Big shocker. I knew there had to be one. Shocker, Margo on the team of the machines. Mitchell lied to me. He was like, Mick and Margo will love this movie, so they need to be on the podcast. I was so sure. Well, he lied to me. <laughs> I was so sure, Margo, you were the chosen one. You were supposed to love this. Yeah, well, we can talk about this it. This supposed to be your shit. Something tells me that Margo's problem with it is going to be the robot politics. That's part of it. Ooh. Ooh. Ooh, robot politics. Yeah, that Robolitics. isn't the heart of the... I really like this movie so much so that when... Deanna asked me to do the podcast. I was like, oh, Mick and Mick also, I know for a fact, love this, and Margo is in the bag for this. So no doubt, what if they no want to do it? <laughs> Mitchell, when Mitchell was no. watching this movie, he texted me and said, I feel like Margo right now because of how much I'm crying, which is beautiful, I think. <laughs> I don't know if I cried, but I did my inner Margo was going. Aw, thank you. It's about a queer film school girl going in the robots and uh, it's... All the pieces are there. You gave me all the clues. Uh, (laughs) And I'm Mr. Police. Come on. Well, I too liked this. Maybe not quite as much as Mitchell and Mick, but, you know, I clearly liked it more than Margot. But real quick, I want to talk about the cast because I think this is a really, really great voice cast. And look, Margot, I cannot blame you for siding with Olivia Coleman ever. That, <laughs> that's acceptable. We accept that on this podcast. <laughs> but some thoughts from all of you on the voice cast. Did you like this aspect of this, Margo? Yeah, I have to say, I think Abby Jacobson is an incredible voice actor. I don't necessarily love the Matt Groening show Disenchantment or Disenchanted or whatever, but I think she's great on it. And um, she just has one of those like really relatable girl voices that I I love in voice acting. Um, I do not always love a boy voiced by a grown man. And I didn't love it here, but I didn't mind it either. Oh, the brother, Aaron. Yeah. He's voiced by uh, the director, Mike Rianda. With just like a man's voice. Like he didn't even try. Kind of <laughs> yeah. a little bit. Sometimes kids just have an adult voice and it's really off-putting and weird. I feel like that was a good character choice for him. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> I don't know. He probably delivered some of the kids' jokes better than a kid could have. That's true. Yeah. How do you feel about Doug the Pug's casting? 
Really, the bug. really good. Doug really, the Pug's agent was in his bag or her bag that day. Really good. There were a lot of different pugs fighting to be that pug, and, and they got like one of the biggest ones. So that was a huge get for them. Probably the hugest get of anyone on this cast, really. I would say the most Instagram follows. Probably. I really liked Eric Andre's voice acting too. I want to hear him in more stuff now. Yeah, his voice is very emotive. Oh yeah, that cool quality to it that I think Abby Jacobson has. His character has to be responsible for the downfall of society. He, he <laughs> it is perfect to if if he was the head of a tech company, of course he would bring about the end of mankind. Like of course, like he would have to. There's no question. I also want to give a shout out to the power couple Posey family being voiced by yes. IRL power couple John Legend and Chrissy Teigen. Came out at kind of a difficult time yeah, in for Miss Chrissy in Teigen. <laughs> <laughs> which I thought added a fun layer of nuance. Agreed. I guess that is the bigger get than Doug the Pug is those two, maybe. Yeah, and uh, I think that uh, Beck Bennett and Fred Emerson uh, as the two robot friends is great. I thought they were hilarious. Maya Rudolph, perfect. Uh, Maya Rudolph, perfect. Maya Rudolph, great, even though her character is not given very much to do. That's what her. I thought, too. Mm-hmm. It actually took me a while to realize it was her and i was like oh her character should have been a little funnier and more involved in this movie yeah she had a pretty straight role right yeah. and her, she was performing yeah. it in sort of an understated way it was interesting mm-hmm. i thought that even though i mean like i don't really know how they could have given her and the little brother more to do because the movie is so about the like the the father-daughter relationship arc that any kind of like mother-son thing would feel like beat plot but um did really love her her transformation into ninja fighting robot mom oh, for yeah. her sweet baby boy at the very end. Good at the end, yeah, very good. Danny McBride, great actor, super underrated actor. Uh, I think comedically, but he's able to also really go into do a lot of really interesting stuff dramatically whenever he's given the chance to. I would like to see him in like more drama, actually. But I think he's so funny and he's incredible. I love him. Yeah, overall, really, really great voice cast on this. And story-wise, this is obviously where our opinions are all going to differ, so it seems. But I really liked the idea of this being a movie where the oldest kid is going off to college and it just throws off the entire family dynamic for like that week or so before she leaves and she's really trying to figure out her place in the world while still you know keeping her tie to like her brother and their little handshake thing that they have going on and whatnot and you know as an only child that part of it didn't necessarily resonate with me quite as much but just the dynamic of going across the country to go to college I was like I understand that I feel that I did that (laughs) you know so for all of you what was the part about the story that you enjoyed and then what parts did you maybe not enjoy quite as much. So Mitchell, we'll rotate around here and start with you. Yeah. So I am also an only child. I just, uh, it was just me and my single mom. I guess I, I, my like extended family, like my aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, we're all very tight and we're a pretty strong family unit and we like all see each other regularly they live pretty close by i'm able to see them i was able to see them even last year sometimes which was incredibly great and uh yeah we we are goofy and uh talk over each other and get very loud and silly but are very wholesome and loving and have one of i think the tightest nicest family units that i am aware of i agree Thank you. Um, So yeah, I can relate to the element of having like goofy family and feeling like you are kind of unique in that. But I don't, uh, for me, the, I guess uh, I, so I do relate to that, that element, but I think the element that I really did like is that I feel like this is a movie that is really in love or it's kind of about like loving movies and like nerd culture and I think that element of it in, in and how it is able to like show that love and like not only in like the elements of the plot, but just in elements of its animation and the creative swings it takes and the weird detours it takes, I think 
it's uh, in tune with that sort of uh, culture, that sort of like nerd culture and movie loving culture in a way that you don't really see. And I think it's done in a way that's uh, really intelligent. And uh, I think that is part of why me and Mick really loved it and latched onto it. And it felt at times like it was coming directly out of uh, my brain. (laughs) Yeah, it was one of those movies where I was like, oh, okay, this is directed at like these kinds of people in particular. Mm -hmm. And I know that we have some... (laughs) big film nerds here on this podcast and I, I probably qualify as the least so unless you want to ask me about Stephen King movies but <laughs> you know this felt very targeted towards like kids who want to follow a creative path and that's something I resonate with not necessarily on the film level but I went to school for music industry and most people are like that's a major like, like so i get it on that level but Margot, give us your thoughts i mean i'll go through pros and cons definitely broad strokes please i definitely like if i were a child i mean i think this is maybe the perfect movie for a child in terms of the the visual animation it's exciting it's funny it's high energy and visually interesting i wish i had seen this as a child and i pity any parents I mean, I'm sure it's it's a good story, so it's fun as a parent too. But I just, if I were a child and I watched this at age like seven or eight, I would watch it every single day for ten years. So, <laughs> for <sure>. like, <laughs> I definitely got that appeal to it, and I really liked. I have to say, I liked how queer Katie was. I appreciate that she was canonically a girl that dates girls, and that that was not an issue for any character in the movie was never a plot point. It was just a fact. And despite the fact that she had all these conflicts with her very mask, very like traditional father, none of it was about her sexuality. I loved that a lot. There was like a lot of fun gender play in, in the movie gender play with like the malfunctioning robot characters. And it was never played for homophobic laughs or anything. It was very like, playful for the sake of being playful, which I really liked. I also think the theme of changing your programming, for lack of a better (laughs) phrase, is like, was one of my favorite aspects of the film where it's like, the the bad guys don't think the family is capable of change. And the family proves them wrong, because they're committed to, to learning to be better for each other. And they like put the work in for each other. And that ends up saving the day. Um, and mirroring the experience of the malfunctioning robot characters who get to say who get to survive because they're malfunctioning. I just loved that. The the choice to change for the sake of working on yourself is really hard and hard to capture in a children's movie. That being said, I had trouble with the um the villains and the politics, and we can get into that later. <laughs> Make some overall thoughts from you on the story. I think that what I dislike about it, Margo and I are going to agree on. I do think that the villains and the politics were weak, but, and I, I recognize just how like directly I related to it really impacted, like probably how much I enjoyed it. Like truly this dynamic was like a one-to-one of what I like kind of went through, like same like family setup, like, to like a mom and dad, me and a younger brother and me being queer and going to California for film school and not getting along with my dad, Uh. like truly a one-to-one. Also, I think at the end, like when they drop her off at school, like I could kind of recognize like a place on the USC campus (laughs) where he like dropped her off. In a way, even just seeing like halfway through the effort that Katie and her dad put into trying to communicate with each other differently sort of felt like wish fulfillment for me. I was like, this is the most fantastical element of this movie that a dad would like try to put his emotions or feelings into these kind of like therapeutic forms. So I think that that was part of my enjoyment. I was like, wow, the two are really trying to understand each other. And another a problem not necessarily a problem I had, but a concern I had as the movie was going on was that the filmmakers were placing a lot of the blame on Katie for the two misunderstanding each other. And I think I that they resolved that by, you know, she 
she realizes just how much her dad did sacrifice for her. Just not that not excusing his behavior necessarily, but like explaining it and that he, you know, sacrificed this this cabin fantasy for her. And he he also really has to learn, you know, to respect this career she wants to go into that is predicated on her having talent and him being shown that by an outsider isn't like ideal but you know he gets there at least it's interesting that you bring up that point because that was I I found the dad to be pretty unsympathetic and part of that is is that and you're exactly right like that I think that it's never really the child's responsibility to be the mature person in a in a conflict with their parent the dad is the adult and whether or not his feelings are hurt, he like canceled her orientation week, <laughs> you know, like he canceled her plane tickets. He did such controlling shit in order to, to force his love on her. Yeah. I mean, he did such controlling shit in order to demonstrate to her his feelings. And it felt like she had to do so much work to work around his feelings and sensitivity. And I was just waiting for him to apologize the whole movie. Yeah, I know. I agree that she has to do more emotional labor than she should have to in kind of mending their relationship. But I don't know. I think a lot of like the interpretations I put on the movie are probably just projections of my own. Like <laughs> they're for dealing with a, a difficult dad and you know, maybe she accepted like that there is a level like that he is not going to change and how to work with that. I listened to and read some interviews uh, about the making of the movie and they said the absolute hardest part was trying to thread the needle of the two of their relationship because they never, they really wanted to get it as close to a midpoint of both of them being equally sympathetic as possible. And I think depending on who you ask, like I think everyone is going to be slightly more on one side than the other, probably Um, probably more definitely on Katie's side. Actually the the dad does, does some stuff that's not cool, but I think what the way they kind of, or try to get around that is by having it be everything he's doing is he's truly trying to connect with her. He is just so divorced from her world that it is so hard for him to get through the many layers of things that he needs to do to connect with her yeah but whose fault is he's divorced from her world that's very true but they're trying to say like they are so different and i think it is a cartoon they're putting the work in now and that's good (laughs) yes it is we're going to mend this lifelong virtually lifelong uh, disagreement where we have all these, we have no good family pictures because the two of you have not been ever able to not fight each other. And we're going to fix that in one week. I think also, I mean, it is like a pretty long movie and they, you know, cover some stuff in their runtime. But I think, I mean, it's so rare to see this like kind of conflict or relationship. Like I feel like even like depicted well, in Even kids in, like, media adult movie <laughs> um so i think that that is part of like why i look at it so positively i think it's biggest pro well for me well for me it's biggest problem is it's runtime and it kind of suffers from i don't know if there if there's like a name for that there probably isn't but i feel like there's a a symptom of uh like first time features for directors or producers or what have you in this case we'll say directors where it's like oh my gosh i'm getting to make my first movie and who knows if i'll get to make another movie again so i'm gonna put everything i'm gonna go all in on this one movie because it i want to get put as much stuff in it and cram all these ideas in it and we can do this and we have the money to do this and it very much is a movie where they did get to do a lot of stuff especially animation wise like the animation in this movie is insane we haven't even talked about that at all but i do think it suffers from that uh some that kind of overcrowded idea or idea saturation that a lot of debut features can have another movie that has this i would say that there's a common example that i like to point to is uh sorry to bother you by boots riley um not related to this movie at all really but um (laughs) 
super great movie, but has so many ideas about like it, its politics and uh, capitalism and race in this country. And um, I think it is also a, a debut for somebody who has been uh, an artist for quite a few years. And uh, it definitely has, it's kind of unfocused in that way. And I feel like this movie isn't necessarily like unfocused, but it definitely feels like, oh, like, okay, guys, we can do whatever we want here. They're just letting us go. Let's just put all the shit in our movie. Yeah, I think that's true. And I like that a lot of the time. I'm like in the bag for that because I would rather a movie do a ton of stuff and fail at some things, but get through on some things than like not do very or not be adventurous or not try things i think those are actually two good like comparisons because they're very like manic and maximalist (laughs) and bright (laughs) colorful movies and even where they miss they're both very exciting yes and energetic i wonder if this would have worked a little better if maybe the disconnect between her and her father was simply hinging on the fact that he gave up this cabin dream sort of thing. And not that he was necessarily resentful, but he just didn't get a chance to live out this dream of his because he had kids. And I think, you know, maybe that's something that happens with a lot of parents, especially parents who have to, you know, put their kids first because maybe, you know, not everyone's Brad and Angelina and has all the money in the world and can just financially. Yeah. (laughs) Do whatever they want and still have eight kids or whatever it is at (laughs) one point in time anyway. But (laughs) for me, if they would have like narrowed that focus instead of making it, oh, he doesn't understand technology. He doesn't understand. She wants to make videos and films and he has this cabin thing. It like felt like they wanted to have so many reasons for this relationship going the way that it did but really they only needed like one of those things well I also I definitely agree and I honestly think they they fit in the technology issue to fit like the plot of the movie a little better but it it didn't need to be there and it ultimately Mm -hmm. made him so to me so much more unsympathetic because I was like you literally have not seen your daughter's YouTube videos like my grandmother could do that it just it, it made it so hard to believe that he was a real dad <laughs> who actually cared about his child at all that's fair yeah other like if if the phone if like if he had some <laughs> attempt to engage with technology and then all the other stuff had been the same I would have felt like the relationship was a little more realistic I think that's an example of the movie skirting around certain things to avoid making it too dark. Mm-hmm. Like, I think if we really had seen like more examples of him being like distant in in the past, we would really hate this guy more than we already, uh, mm. you know, do by the first like third of the movie. And then what Deanna was saying a minute ago kind of reminded me of how like class and politics really don't like you just kind of assume like oh Katie's probably like liberal and her dad's like conservative like that's you but the movie does not say that and also film school California film school it's fucking expensive so I really thought in the first few minutes of the movie having not really looked into it before watching it that this conflict was going to be like she got into this prestigious school and her family couldn't afford it Mm. um and so like and and then so what she was saying about the dad having to give up on his cabin dream so he could raise his kids. You don't really know if it's like because of financial reasons or they wanted to like raise their kids in the suburbs. It just doesn't factor in. And I mean, it's like you're used to like kids movies, like kind of shying away from that topic, but it, it could have been nice to see it like covered at all. Cause that does factor into, you know, like strained family relationships. I love that we're having a uh, we're already having a deep and uh, very taut conversation about like family dynamics in the movie where there's a giant Furby that shoots a laser beam through the screen and says that it's doing the dark harvest in Furbish. Love that. Love that sequence. Yeah, we need to talk about some of these visuals because <laughs> they are absolutely insane. We haven't even talked about the machines at all, really, or pal or anything like that. And I think they did a really nice job of bringing us this family conflict, but 
having it happen as this much bigger thing is happening. So it's like you get this very small story within this massive story at the same time. Like you're living in the Mitchell's world, but at the same time, you're like, oh, crap, we have to save the whole world. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, it's playing out on a much bigger uh, way. There's this great moment when they're all in the dinosaur museum and they look out the window. Gas station. And um, and it looks like there are comets falling from the sky. And it's like the di- they are standing with the dinosaurs watching the meteor hit the earth. But then it ends up that it's actually a bunch of robots. I really thought that was a great visual joke of like, of exactly what you're saying. Like, we're seeing a small interpersonal conflict play out, but essentially a meteor is destroying all the dinosaurs outside the window. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, yeah, this movie is very much, I feel like every, kind of every Lord and Miller movie, I would say, or at least this one, Spider-Verse and Lego movie, let's just say, are really concerned with pushing the medium of animation like forward. And I think you can really obviously tell that um, just in the amount of stuff that they do in this movie, not like visually, not only in shots like that, but as well as, you know, the shot, like the entire like design of the the Journey album cover, the the um, base where all the humans are being collected is insane. Like the visual, the colors in this movie are just popping. Every frame has like colors popping at you especially the finale is a very like neon colored robot zone that's really cool um and then the way that they fuse um katie is katie is a youtube like filmmaker who has like 2d animation that she puts on her that she edits onto her videos and so the move the whole movie has these 2d effects around people and characters that are really they're like confetti or they're like cartoon reactions and i feel like having that like that 2d type of thing on a 3d movie is something i've never really seen before and it is so cool and fun and gives the movie so much like it feels like it's really alive and it's really like doing something and it's just thrilled to exist okay mitchell is it cute and fun or is it kind of choogy? I don't think it's choogy. I, I think, think it's, it's choogy. I, I think this choogy. whole movie is choog as hell. <gasps> and that's okay. I still really like it. And that's what choogy is all about. But it kind of was a little like mm, early 2010s Tumblr culture. Funny. When the new one. Okay. I like. Playing, I was like. Yeah. Stop. I'm going to throw myself out the window <laughs> i was like that was not for the children of today that was for the veterans of yesteryear of which <laughs> i am one this movie had a very long development cycle i think it's been in dev since 2015 i could tell <laughs> yes I, I so i when you say stuff like that i totally do see that and i do think that's valid because they have literally been working on this movie for like six years. Well, I do kind of forgive it that because of the long incubation that animation has. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, for how long it takes to make an animated movie for it to still be like as, as relevant as it is, like mm-hmm. while still having some of that culture, which is what makes it chuggy because chuggy is what was popular, like yeah. six plus years ago. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't begrudge it that. Um, I feel like not a lot of movies like engage with like, the internet like internet fan culture in the way that this does though yeah but i feel like if they're going to do that's the pro- the problem with doing it is that if you do it you have to you have to subject you have to your fans to as modern the whims of, as possible yeah i mean meme culture moves really fast every week there's a new yeah. main character of the internet and what like the the monkey face <laughs> swap bit that kept coming back was I don't know. I felt like I was... It was dated. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I felt like I was, was in dated. 2012, and that was cringy for me. That's fair. Uh, that's fair. I I would rather a movie try to do that. I, and it's also a kid's movie, so I wonder, like, if kids care. Kids, I'm or sure, love it. Maybe for kids... Opinion on maybe that Maybe for kids, is... kids have a slower meme cycle. Mm-hmm. Maybe the kids are still... Well, and just the bar have, like, is macros. lower, too. 
like the the bar is lower too. It's just like something just needs to be kind of silly rather than current and silly. Yeah, which is what it we, is we need something to be very current and very silly in order to enjoy it. And this one, it's just like this is not current, but it is silly. So eh, yeah, it's tough. Also, it's made by people in their thirties, largely thirties and older. It's current-ish. I think it's current enough for a movie. Well, I'm trying to think of comparisons. Like, do any of you watch like any like contemporary kids cartoons or like Disney Channel or does Star Wars count shows like that? <laughs> uh, we all Maybe? watch like Adventure Time and like Steven Universe. That doesn't really count. I'm think I'm trying to think of something like well, how he had like Hannah Montana, Sweet Life of Zack and Cody back in the day. Like I'm wondering if like kids programming like that is actually like modern and topical, or if this movie this movie felt so different. But maybe that's just because we I don't watch other stuff for kids. I mean, I know that like High School Musical, this the musical, the series is is a teen show and like Riverdale is a teen show and I feel like both of those shows are trafficking in irony in a really in a way that our media never did like it's very tongue-in-cheek and a lot of people love it because it's bad and that is like that is a type of Gen Z like shit post irony lifestyle that that we even sort of got to escape we got like a little more sincerity yeah. in our lives than the teens these days this is do. a very sincere this is a very very sincere, sincere which might be why it's so cringe deeply sincere <laughs> deeply sincere movie yeah, yeah for not, sure but i not yeah. irony in this movie at all wow kind of feels good to watch that, i think that's why movie. i like it so much is because i'm like oh this is doing youth culture but in a way that i like it <laughs> even if it is a little bit chewy um <laughs> It's okay to be chuggy. A little bit chuggy. It's okay First to be step chuggy. step is acceptance. Yeah. It's, it's okay. <laughs> Nick loves chuggy. Um, I do love chuggy. Deanna, how are you feeling about chuggy these Deanna. days? Deanna. Oh, yeah. Deanna. I think I might be too old for this conversation. <laughs> thing to say. Talking about meme cycles, and I'm just like, I don't, <laughs> don't pay attention to those. Deanna, you're a podcaster. You're an internet person. You gotta, you gotta come on. Like, you gotta get in this, man. No. <laughs> gotta be on top of this she stuff. No. You gotta be on TikTok for like at least an hour every day. Deanna has a podcast called Welcome to Geekdom. She's Shugi and she knows it. Love that. And we love that about her. By LMFAO. Deanna's like, they're coming on my podcast. They're calling me these these names. I don't know about this. I was like drinking my vodka crayon preparing for this discussion. And I'm like, how long am I going to wait before I throw in the Chugi element the chuggy the chuggy quadrangle and i'm really glad that we're having the conversation one of the reasons that i think the furby scene is like purely amazing is that it is kind of irony pilled you know what i mean like <laughs> that scene, you wanted so badly to not say irony pilled. i know but i said oh it, no said it. it's tongue-in-cheek and it's like not taking yourself seriously and it's like what if furby I said the dark harvest. <laughs> it's irony filled and it's based. And I thought that whole sequence was so funny. So and the, the the just the Furby dialogue was really well written. Like <laughs> that had the opportunity to be very like bad, cringy, chuggy, whatever. But like there was, I don't know, they had all the right notes somehow. Yeah. And I think this kind of like very joke heavy, very silly kids movie is bad. Usually, like, especially the ones we get nowadays, like, I don't want, I don't know what would be like a comparison, but like, say like the Angry Birds movie, which I haven't seen, but I've seen the trailers a lot. (laughs) And I feel like that if they did something similar to that in one of those movies, it would be so much, it it wouldn't be as weird and it wouldn't be as funny and it wouldn't like, it just wouldn't be as, it wouldn't know what it was doing as much as like that, not just that sequence, but the entire mall sequence where they have the jokes with like the Roombas and the tennis racket and the drone. It's like, I don't know. I, I, I think that this movie is very, very funny and uh, knows exactly how stupid to be in any given moment to be maximum funny. And I like that. I think that's kind of a, Lord and Miller project uh, staple is is turning is having complete control of like the the faucet of stupidity 
in its comedy and just knowing when to really crank it and when to dial it back. I wonder um, how kids actually feel about this movie. I know. I was thinking this. Do we have any children in our life? Margo has anyone, baby siblings. Anyone? Any any kids? Any kids? Any kids any listening kids to this? Uh, tweet at us. <laughs> any kids listen, uh, listening to this podcast? Uh, tweet at us. Uh, I'm at a waste of a time. Uh, Dan's at uh, welcome to geek gum. Mick is Mitchell. Um. Uh, anyways, and uh, Margo official underscore Margo. <laughs> He's an official mark. So any kids listening to this uh, tweeted us. I'm sure all of the children are listening to this, but I either texted Mitchell this or put it in my letterbox review. I don't remember which. And I was like, that Furby scene was more terrifying than anything I have ever seen in a Stephen King movie. (laughs) (laughs) And I stand by that. (laughs) It immediately brought me back to having a broken Furby and just like shoving it in the deepest depths of my closet. So I never had to see it again. And hearing it growl at you from deep in there. I liked that the kid in the movie said, what are Furbies? Which (laughs) is very much... When you think about it, that kid was probably born in like 2006. Wait, how old was he? 2010. My roommate, she's like in her 30s and she, when they... When they were doing the the song, the the is it like a Rihanna song that the Maya he fucking like Rihanna song? That. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. But she's like <laughs> she's like, oh my god, I was like she was like, oh my god, I was like in college when that came out. And that is now a song that's like for to say this person was a baby when this song came out, like that put me in my grave. <laughs> Um, okay, but also, Margo, you not liking that sequence is violence. I, I thought that that, well, the sequence in the end, like, yes, that is a, sorry to use it again, a chuggy song and a chuggy sure. device. But I think I'm just like a sucker for flying sequences in mm-hmm. animated films. Yeah, it reminded me, well, like, <laughs> well, that, but like, there's like a sequence in like uh, the Princess Kaguya. And, Miyazaki and Spirited yeah, Ghibli, spirited please. away. Like it kind of did remind me of that. It was kind of euphoric and just like the, her working together with her dad. I was like, yes, this is cringy. Yeah, I am not too irony pilled <laughs> to not enjoy this. Yeah. <laughs> I really liked it. it. It asked you to. It asked you to suspend your irony toxicity and enjoy this cringe yeah i i thought that scene was totally poggers Uh, (laughs) i really love i have to say i like when the mom went full john wick i think that was very very visually fun and exciting and for a woman who got basically nothing to do the whole movie i was glad to see her kick ass um in the most intense fucking mad wax way possible Mad wax. Yeah, I said mad wax. Uh, mad wax. Mad wax. Here we woe. Here we woe. I liked the. Uh, I loved the design of just the 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 visual. I think the visual component of the movie is incredible in the the way that all of the robotic stuff is like clean and sleek and. Um, beautiful and has like these beautiful like prismatic colors and the way like the robot beam that like the zero it's kind of like the zero point energy from the incredibles in fact it's it's exactly that um that lets them like pick stuff up it looks so cool and yeah just the and the way that they made like every sort of like the robot world just have a certain design and then have everything to do with the mitchells be like unorganized and crumpled and uneven and curled or like you know just have and just to make those very to go in opposite complete opposite directions where they tried to really different animation styles and kind of mash them together was really neat because the Mitchells look very like they look basically like 2D like kind of like Cartoon Network or Nickelodeon cartoons like come to life in like kind of generated in 3D and then everything about the robots is very very CGI and I liked that yeah, do we like the actual character design of the Mitchells? Yes, I did. I think it like transposed like a style of like uh, Ed, Ed, and Eddie, or you know, like a not not maybe like like a Hey Arnold or like kind of those shows, like Shout those cartoons that were like normal sitcoms from like the early aughts, late nineties, um, into like uh, a three D cool like cel shaded sort of. Uh, 
visual representation that I I liked it. And also, apparently, um, his jacket, the dad's Rick Mitchell's jacket, is like the prop, the design in the entire movie that was the hardest to make because of the way that the collar has like fur. It's like a it's like a Sherpa lined collar, and it each fur strand is like a curl that's like 2d and apparently that's like the hardest thing ever to animate and also just like the the textures on it the way it's shaded the way it has like creases and stuff uh is apparently also incredibly hard to animate so i guess that for all the animators out there that's like the 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 most and it's like they don't even spend that much time on it's just like that's just what the dude looks like and it's they made it to make him look like that and i think that's so like that kind of shit and i i feel like that's why i'm in the can so much for this movie is you can really tell that they cared so much and were so excited to have the opportunity to do this and really went for it all in and i think stuff like that just really i really when i see that in art I try to appreciate it. And a lot of my favorite things are huge artistic swings like that. Um, that uh, Like a Sherpa line collar. Like a, <laughs> like, a really, like a really beat up jacket. I do love that they put so much detail into the Mitchells and then the machines are very, very simplistic. But then you have the separate set of robots and they kind of reminded me of like and please amuse me here with my Star Wars references again, but like the Praetorian Guard that's in the red throne room with Snoke, it really felt like that. It's like they were the upper echelon (laughs) of the robots, and they were the ones who were going to fight better than the other ones, quite frankly. But The Terminator, you guys? The Black Yeah, and just the fact that their designs were so sleek and simplistic versus the humans who had so much detail put into them even the other family the posies it's like they had this very clean look about them but they still put so much detail into those characters even though they're in what two or three scenes yeah we've kind of i guess moved past this part of like talking about it but i did like the element of like the posies how the mom was like you know she always scrolled facebook and instagram and was comparing herself to this other person which i've definitely seen my mom like who will be like oh my god you'll never believe what so and so posted on instagram she's (laughs) off in mexico again and so i thought that that and just like you know a matter of like keeping up with the Joneses or feeling like you have this like goofy falling apart family dynamic and this other family has it so together. But then it turns out that Chrissy Teigen was on Twitter years ago telling Courtney Stodden. Anyway, so (laughs) that's what it turns out. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. That always does happen. Yeah. And it was crazy that, you know, whoever wrote the movie, Michael Rianda or Lord and Miller, I don't remember, uh, really foresaw that um, happening. Well, speaking of the way that people use phones for violence, I would love to touch on the thing I I really didn't like about the movie. Go for it. Here we go. I think that the movie sort of is asking the question or is trying to ask the rhetorical question, is technology bad or do people misuse technology? And I say that I think that it's it's asking the rhetorical question because I think the film makes the argument that technology itself isn't the problem. It's the bad people who use it in a bad way. And we know this because Katie is using the technology to make her art. And the family uses the technology to keep in touch with each other over long distances. Right. So that technology, we see that it in the hands of ordinary people, it's a beautiful thing. But then when technology is scary in the movie is when it's gone rogue. So it's no longer in human control or it's working against us. And that is a choice that I wish the film had thought more critically about because I feel like it obfuscates the opportunity it avoids the opportunity to do a much more interesting thing and much more realistic and true uh true thing which would be to to say that like bad people use technology to be bad (laughs) i a thousand percent agree right so like the villain in the movie is essentially a siri or an alexa like this or basically a cell phone ai yes she's an ai and her character is has been misused. She doesn't like being poked and prodded and having cheese spilled on her, but she also doesn't like that she's being cast aside and replaced by the Palmax robots. So she's like angry at being treated like an object 
And then she's also hurt that she's no longer considered useful or, or worth keeping around. And she has this really interesting scene with the CEO character, Eric Andre's character, where she says, I think the real bad guy here is the person who treated me like this. And I'm like, I feel like it would be so, the real question is, like, isn't the real bad guy the person that developed artificial intelligence and put it in a robot that he designed to be a slave? <laughs> who, like, gave? Yes. Yeah, like, who? Yes. But also, Margo. Yeah, say it. You got to disclose your 70-page thesis on robots in the cinema. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just, yeah, I, I care a lot and think a lot about the way that fictional robots are depicted. So you're right. That's a good point. It's worth it to say that I'm thinking about this more than maybe even Lord and Miller are. But I just think like to bring in another example later in the film, there's this like sort of iconic moment where the CEO character says the quiet part out loud. Basically he's talking to the dad and he's like, huh, it's almost like stealing people's data and giving it to a hyper-intelligent AI as part of an unregulated tech monopoly was a bad thing. And Rick Mitchell is like, oh, yeah, it is. That is an interesting line, I think, because I don't think that that's actually the bad thing that's happening. It's not that stealing Mm. people's data and giving it to a hyper-intelligent AI is is the problem. (laughs) It's stealing people's data and giving it to like the US military (laughs) and giving it to like the US government and using it to surveil and control us. So I just felt like it was, the whole film sort of felt to me like it was trying to let Apple and Google and all these companies that are financially supporting Sony (laughs) um, a little bit off the hook by being like, you know, if, if our phones could feel, they would probably hate us. Yeah, I totally agree. Also, I was just teasing about the robot thesis thing. Yeah. Your uh, brilliant brain thesis part. Um, Thank you, baby. <laughs> yeah. I definitely think that the the element of the film that they maybe put the least thought into is the motivation of the robots and the robot uprising. I think they more were concerned with let's have, we want it to be them again. We wanted it to be this struggle of people versus technology so that we could tell the story, the smaller story of the daughter versus the dad and that the ultimate, like the biggest version of that. What's the biggest version of these two people's conflict is the world versus Terminator robot apocalypse. Well, I definitely agree. So I definitely... Yeah, I think you're so right. I think that that is definitely a point in the movie that I do vi- I do see is kind of bullshitted over because it's like even in the scene where they go rogue, it's like so it's like okay, here's robots. Oh no, they went evil. Well, yeah, I mean it's it's funny to me, Mitchell, that when you saw it, you were like, Margot is going to respond so much to this. Margot loves robot movies and she's going to love this. And the truth, I you do the characters that I thought were the most interesting that I wanted every scene to be about were Eric and Deborah bot. I loved them. (laughs) And every time they were on screen doing anything, I was like, you are my babies. I will protect you with my life. And it's because I think that I do think that those care that figure, the figure of the like the malfunctioning or different robot that's trying to like Mm -hmm. trying to exist in the world and doesn't understand how to do that normally is very interesting and delightful. And I just think because I came in with really high expectations of how the robots in general were talked about. It felt like a letdown that it was so tropey and it was so like the matrix Mm. or iRobot where it's like, if we give power to an AI, what if the AI goes bad? When these days it's so clear that like the power is in the hands of the people that hurt. It's fair. That that don't have our best interests at heart. Margot, I really some great... I got some great movie recommendations for you, Margo, if you're ready. I got this one called Wally. I love that. Oh my God. But this, okay, so thank you got- for bringing that up because, like, <laughs> here we go. To your point, there is a way to have done this movie and to have done it a little bo- bit more responsibly or a little bit more, a little bit less lazily, and to have had the villain be be like capitalism <laughs> mm. and i would have That's, preferred yeah. if that were the choice and i don't think that it would have made it any less of an entertaining kids movie or a more complicated movie to write it would just require a little more thinking on the writer's part. So you wanted Pixar to do this movie is what you're saying. Yeah, that's that's what uh-huh. I, I don't think Pixar could have done it 
I don't. They are too constrained to depicting only certain kinds of, I think, families and mm. societal Yeah, they couldn't have done realities. the gay protagonist. You're right. And they also could not have done the gay protagonist. Oh my God, I was going to say, I, before we finish this train, but just like, I do think that it really totally is like absolving big tech companies yeah. of their responsibility for purposely yeah. developing things to be as addictive as possible for people. But if we can view that in like any positive light in what it does in the movie, it's that maybe, it, I mean, people who watch it can feel empowered to use technology as they see fit and like feel like they are the, you know, the captains of their machines and, and, and put down their phones and spend time with their families at dinner and not compare themselves to others on Instagram. But no, it's, it's totally, it's totally big tech's fault, but, but maybe just pretend that you have some uh, autonomy, even if you don't. I think that is very much a first feature uh, screenwriting thing that is very, that this movie has, that is a big problem. Yeah, but Boots Riley figured out how to critique capitalism. That's true, but that was kind of the whole point of that movie. Uh, <laughs> I think it should be the whole point of every movie. I think <laughs> and you're Steven Yeun was valid. in it. <laughs> yeah. Think about that. Steven Yeun could have been in it. Uh, then then no movies would be made because <laughs> every big thing would be like, we don't want to make it. Movies are anti what we do, so we're not going to give them money. Um, it sucks. We live in hell. <laughs> uh, anyways, I, we talked, we mentioned Pixar. I wanted to talk about this a little bit because I feel like Sony animation is kind of having a little run with these Lord and Miller films. And I do think that they are wonderful and great and i also think that pixar movies are wonderful and great but i like that they are really leaning into like sort of zones and avenues and doing things that i that pixar disney is unable to do and they are taking advantage of that and exploiting that really like with this movie with its sort of understanding of like nerd culture and its hyperactivity and the way that it's pushing animation in different directions whereas pixar's thing kind of with each movie is that they're going to focus on one element of the animation and just really perfect that like in toy story uh toy story 4 it's like the ray tracing which is like the way light reflects off of different surfaces like the way that the light reflects off of the porcelain and the water in that movie is really what they perfected there um, and here it's obviously like the fusions, the two different animation styles and the 2D meeting the 3D and sort of doing all that. Um, but then just in terms of like its humor is very different. It's very fast paced, a lot more manic and it's uh, willingness to be weird and to be sort of uh, confusing and kind of go out there. You can also look at this in like Spider-Verse really pushed the yeah. medium of animation forward For sure. in a way that this one is kind of coasting off of because it's obviously the same team making a movie directly. It's their first feature in this style after that. So it's obviously very similar. But I think, and then to look at also like the Lego movies are doing, are doing that as well in a totally different way. And I think that they've sort of found this groove, that Sony has kind of found this groove where they're able to make these movies that are... Uh, pushing anime pushing digital animation forward in a way that is different from pixar and i am very happy that we are able to experience that well do we have any final thoughts on the mitchells versus the machines before we dive into some recommendations here and along with final thoughts let's go ahead and give our ratings i have two final thoughts at the end of the movie she kills pal by dropping her in a glass of water and Phones are waterproof now. So that I thought was not very good. Also, (laughs) at the end of the movie, they're all using their phones like two days later. I was shocked. I was like fully prepared for them to be using like lanterns and like, (laughs) and like notes, like sending each other snail mail again. I was genuinely like, you're using PAL brand cell phones right now. Okay. Rick would have loved that. Well, if the pandemic has taught us anything about how people act near yeah. the end of a disaster. Anyway, that's the end of that <laughs> no, thought. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I, I appreciate that my perspective is pretty, um, pretty, I have pretty specific expectations and it was, it's not necessarily realistic to expect every children's movie to meet them. Either way, I had a fun time. Um, and my rating is three out of 10. <laughs> What? No. Three out of ten. Oh my word. Three out of five. Three out of five. Three out of five. 
Oh my god, five Margos. Imagine. <laughs> so many tall girls. That's a lot. <laughs> Mick, final thoughts and ratings from you? I like that Margot and I essentially agreed on like a lot of points and that, you know, I just partially out of how much I related to it, partially because uh, I thought it succeeded on, I don't know, different filmmaking fronts or I maybe just decided to suspend my criticism for it because I was having so much fun. I gave it five stars when I watched it because like my roommate and I were so high. We were having not high like <laughs> on drugs. Like we were having like so much fun watching the movie that like and also I had cried so many times. I was like five stars, even though I don't really think it's like a five star movie necessarily. So I don't know. Depending on my mood, I'll say four and a half or five. Yeah. Four and a half out of five. On letterbox.com, follow me. I'm at <laughs> Snowfob. Snowfob. <laughs> like film snob, but spoonerized. Mitchell? <sighs> Heavy sigh. <laughs> Letterbox boy. Yeah, I, I'm i on Letterbox too. You can follow me at a waste of a time. I'm completely in the can for pretty much everything that Lord and Miller do. Uh, they, I don't, they actually weren't super involved in this one. They were pretty, the movie was pretty much all of the plot beats were done. They really just came in to like really firm up a lot of the sort of just the the point the plot points that already existed. They kind of just like made everything better, is what I'm told. They kind of just came in and like way late into development because you got to think that they, they were working on this movie. Um, I think the Lego movie had just come out and they greenlit this, and then they had to make uh, Lego Batman came out during that. Uh, Spider-Verse came out during that uh, Lego Movie 2 came out during that so they worked on all those movies and then kind of got to this one so I don't think it was all all them in this but I am in the can for anything that they are uh, EPing on or directing what have you um, in that style so it, it's a ten, it's a it's a five out of five for me but uh, but I, I don't know I just think that it is uh, it's it's a movie that feels like it was conjured out of the parts of my brain and put on screen. The chewy parts. And it just gives me the chewy parts. <laughs> um, and it just brings me abject joy and I love a lot of the things it's doing. I, I realize it's not perfect and it does, like I said, suffer from trying too many things and maybe not being good enough at certain things. But it, it just is, it's easily my favorite movie of this year. Not that it has much competition currently. Yeah, I, I, I just, I just really loved it. And I think that anyone who is like a, not that I'm, I'm, I'm straight, but anybody who's like a film nerd or like a gay or like a gay nerd is going to really get something out of this movie. There are like so few of those out there. Everyone I know is one, or, <laughs> one of one or the other or both. Um. Deanna, your turn. I had a lot of fun with this despite its flaws. And I'm someone who doesn't give five out of five to too many things. So for me, everything else is pretty much a four out of five, it seems. Unless it's a bad Stephen King movie. There's lots of those. So, But for me, this was a four out of five because I really liked the family dynamic. And I loved the visuals. I liked a lot of the design choices they made for the characters and the robots. But, you know... Clearly, all three of you have put way more thought into this movie than I did, which I'm glad because it pointed out some things that I wasn't necessarily thinking about when I was watching it. I was just kind of like, all right, here, here's an animated movie. It's going to be colorful. It's going to be wild. And I'm here to have a good time. And it accomplished that for me. Nice. Yay. Margot just dabbed. You want to talk about Chugi? I dabbed. I just dabbed. Margot and I literally went to like film nerd school if we didn't have like thoughts we'd have to i don't know revoke our degrees or something i don't have thoughts on music anymore so i i guess i'll be doing that but i want to dive into some recommendations from anyone who has them and it can be anything that people would want to watch if they either like this movie or in margo's case maybe if you want to give them something better to watch you can do so but margo let's start with you yeah, I mean, I feel like an obvious recommendation is Wally. I think um, that's a great, a great movie. It has its flaws as well, but I, I really love it, and it lives very, it in a very cozy part of my heart. Um, alongside the Iron Giant, another excellent 
children's movie about robots and feelings and war. Um, Big Hero 6 comes to mind as a movie that felt similar in vibrancy and energy to this one that is also about robots. Um, And I also want to recommend the picture book, The Wild Robot, which is about a malfunctioning robot that goes on an adventure to Cracker Barrel, among other things. (laughs) Makes friends with a frog. Those were really good, relevant suggestions, Margo. Hats off. What are yours, Mick? I was just looking through, like, my letterbox (laughs) trying to find something, like, the good stuff I watched recently. And I was like, wow, let's tell this audience that we just talked for an hour about this kid's movie to watch Dead Ringers by David Cronenberg. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I saw recently that I gave a five out of five about twin gynecologists. Um, I just read a book recently for a book club. It's uh, technically YA um, called Nothing to See Here by Kevin Wilson about a woman who starts to nanny for two children of an up and coming politician who is told to keep the children's existence a secret because they catch on fire when they get upset. And it was such, uh, I read it in one sitting and I feel like for fans of this movie, you might understand or uh, appreciate the kind of like tense family dynamic. Mitchell, how about you? Well, obviously I'm going to recommend the rest of the like Lord and Miller films. So the Lego movie, um, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, um, Spider Verse. There's no one. That, there's a, there are zero people that are listening to this podcast that haven't seen Spider Verse, but it's great. Um, but there's a very fun, like, like not even they 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 are on the shot for maybe two seconds in the movie, but it's all of her uh, student films or not student films, like YouTube films and parodies and stuff. And I was just going to go through and read some of them because I screen capped it. There's Katie and Aaron, which is designed like Thelma and Louise. I could, I, I guess I could show you guys. You can't know. I, I sent the it to podcast the podcast is an audio medium. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's, they lived in the Jurassic period, which is they live. Uh, there's portrait of an idiot on fire, which is kind of a deep cut. That's a portrait of a lady on fire. Um, Dogtown which is Chinatown. There's Going There, which is Being There, the Altman film. This girl is so gay. That's not an Altman film. I think that's Hal Ashby. Oh, I I get them confused. I'm stupid. Um, I'm obviously not. (laughs) The Perks of Only Having One Friend and It's Your Little Brother, which is first being Wildfire. Raging Rick, like Raging Bull. Fear and Loathing in Central Michigan. I don't know. I just thought to to just only have to put all these. This movie does this a, a few times where it has. It, this is like I feel like this is a very Lord and Miller thing to have like a ton of jokes crammed into something that only gets like half a second of screen time. Um, there's I also screen capped like the part where it's listing all of the family's flaws, and I thought that that was so funny. Yeah. Oh my god. Shout out just the isn't it called between the lines writing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is that what it's called? All the between the lines writing in this movie that I think would be so Great. fun on a second watch if so you went funny. and paused every time there was like an in joke that you could only see for one second. Yeah. Some of the, do you want me to read some of the flaws or are we good? Do whatever you want. <laughs> wow. Okay. Mitchell's doing them. Uh, we have like, can't accept that his daughter is her own unique person not all, and not simply a reflection of himself. Smells like wet garbage, long, creepy finger-like toes, cowardly, cowardly um, walks to kitchen and forgets why, kicked out of an olive garden for stealing breadsticks in purse, freakish sweat disorder, hasn't read a book in years, trips over own legs, says Mario instead of Mario, (laughs) compares self to curated moms on social media. Get her. (laughs) Doctor diagnosed chocoholic. <laughs> Looks at ex boyfriend Carlo Maloney DDS on Facebook more than is comfortable. I don't know. I, I, I thought those are some thought, good flaws. I thought those are those are really funny. Um, <laughs> Big meaty flaws. Yeah, but um, oh, here's the last one. Makes goofy videos because she's afraid if she really tried hard to make something good, she'll fail. I wonder if Lord Miller relate to that. <laughs> I wonder if that's like a dark, deep-seated psychosis of theirs. <laughs> Probably. I think they have know, now made movies that are records. universally acclaimed. So that's true. That's true. I always condone watching Spider Verse. Yeah. So I'm Hands with down. you on that recommendation, Mitchell. 
but I also want to quickly recommend a Pixar movie, but I'm going in a little bit of a different direction than Margo because this one does not have robots. I'm sorry, but I want everyone to watch Coco because I think it's one of those things where it has that family dynamic. It has a boy who wants to chase his dreams and not do what his family wants him to do. And visually, it's just amazing. It's stunning. Great wreck, Deanna. I agree. I haven't watched that since the theater. I remember loving it, but... I'm not good at rewatching stuff, especially stuff that is going to pack an emotional wallop. <laughs> so I haven't rewatched Coco, but I remember it just being incredible. So it's definitely, it's, I think pretty much every Pixar film, except for we recently watched the Toy Stories, pretty much all of them, all the rest of them probably do for a rewatch for me. I didn't like Onward. Yeah, I have a lot that I still haven't watched, but need to watch. But thank you all for joining me to talk about the Mitchells versus the Machines. It was a blast. Thank you for having us. Yay. Thanks for having us. All right, everyone. That does it for this episode of Welcome to Geekdom. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so through our Patreon. If you want to follow us on socials, you can do so at Geekdom Pod on Twitter and at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.